sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Jan's at the top of the board. Good morning, Jan. Morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a question about a Japanese maple I was given. Okay. And um, they lose their leaves in the winter, right? Yes, they do. And should I plant it in a pot, do you think, or in the ground? Do you know if it's a dwarf variety, one of what they call the waterfall varieties, or is it a more upright grower? It looks like an upright. It says it's a... A Japanese red maple, Ace Rojo, Japanese. Okay, Acer Rojo. Um, yeah. That is, you know, that, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. They usually have a uh, an Asian-sounding name afterwards. I suspect it is one of the larger growing ones, though, and it will be easier to maintain in the ground. If you want to grow it in a, in a large pot, you certainly can. And the, uh, the little more dwarf varieties are, are beautiful in pots. But the most important thing about the red maples is they do not like hot Texas sun. They can take morning sun, but they need to be grown principally as what we would call an understory tree. They need to be grown in the shade of another tree or they need to be in some area that they just don't get that hot west sun. They also like a, you know, a little bit richer soil. You may want to work a little bit of compost in. You certainly want to keep a good layer of mulch over the root zone. And, of course, as always, be careful that you have that root flare exposed. But uh, if it were mine, I would probably go ahead and plant it directly in the ground. But do remember, it needs to be where it gets some shade uh, and, and protection from the hot afternoon sun. Okay, yeah, it does say seven foot high and 13 feet wide. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that that might be how it grows in Oregon. We'll find out how it grows in Texas. But as an understory tree, uh, it'll be easiest to maintain in the ground. If I were going to put it in a pot, it'd be a big pot. It'd be the size of a molasses tub or something like that. So uh, for me, it'd probably go in the ground. Okay, and then um, I have, I think I heard you say on the radio the other day about a purple wisteria wasn't really a wisteria? Well, there is something they call evergreen wisteria, which has a very deep, deep purple color. Uh, the Texas wisteria, the Chinese wisteria are a light lavender purple. But if it is a deep purple color, it's a, a plant that really isn't a wisteria. It's botanically it's something called Melitia. It tends to bloom in the summer rather than in the spring. It has a very fragrant flower and it grows a lot better in houston than it does in san antonio but if you want to grow it here just be sure you've got it in really really rich soil you'll probably need to give it some supplemental iron like green sand or magic sand or something like that at least once a year and they are you know they're beautiful plants but they're not really wisterias okay i have i have seeds a friend grows them here on the northeast side she has one and she gave me the seeds should i uh, can we plant them now, and should I oh, yeah. uh, rough, rough the seed a little bit? I don't think you really need to rough it. Now, Now, tell me about the seed. Is it a black seed with sort of a white ring around it? 
No, it's brown, and it looks like a big lentil. Okay, then that probably is the evergreen wisteria. There's something uh, that they call hyacinth bean that some people uh, sometimes confuse. It's a neat vine, and it's planted all the time from seed, but the seeds are very, very identifiable. Uh, are you planning to try it directly in the ground, or do you want to start it in a pot? I'd recommend starting it in a pot and then planting it out when it's maybe six inches tall. That's what I thought I, yeah. I would probably do. Yeah, yeah, it's a real deep purple. Yes, I would uh, I would use just a good, rich potting soil. I'd probably use four-inch pots and put one seed per pot, keep them warm, keep them moist, and... Uh, uh, probably going to take four to six weeks for them to really germinate and start growing. If you want to pre-soak that seed, if you want to soak it in a little very dilute garret juice uh, or something like that, you'll help speed up the germination a little bit. But even if it's just water, soak it for 20 or 30 minutes before you plant the seed, and uh, and don't be too impatient. A woody seed like that takes sometimes a little longer to sprout. I'm laughing because... I wasn't born with patience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't they say that's a little boy's prayer is, dear Lord, give me patience and please hurry. (laughs) But you wouldn't be a gardener if you weren't at least a little bit patient, because if if, if you don't have some patience, you would have given up gardening a long time ago. So I have every faith that you'll do very well with it, Jan. All right. Thank you for your show, Bob. Always a pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Goodbye. Cindy's up next. Good morning, Cindy. Well, good morning there, Bob. Good morning. Hey, um, I got some uh, nasturtium seeds at uh, a gardening event free, uh-huh. and I was looking on the internet, and of course, there's very confusing information. Of course. Do we do we plant them now or in the fall? You normally plant them about January or February. It's getting late to plant nasturtium seed because they don't like the heat. Uh, they should be nice plants. Uh, we've got a kind of a bed of them planted outside one of the fences at the nursery, and it's just a sea of orange over there. But we're knocking on summer's door here, Cindy, so I'd put those seeds. Okay. Yeah, seal them up in that mason jar in the refrigerator. Don't forget you have them. Uh, they don't want a hard, hard freeze, so we normally start them in pots in January. We protect them if the temperature is going to get very far down into the 20s. Set them out in February, and you'll have a beautiful show this time of year. But I think it's awful late to be starting them this year. Okay. Do we soak them because it's an awfully hard seed? It would be a good idea when you get ready to plant. Yes, it sure would. Okay. And are they full or partial sun? Ah, they'll take pretty much full sun. The more sun, the more flowers. And, of course, they're an edible flower. They're just lots of nice things to say about nasturtiums. Okay. And I have some orange daylilies. Uh-huh. They always get aphids. Is there something that I can do besides uh, what I'm doing? Because, you know, I mean, I, I do take good care of my plants. Well, uh, as you, you certainly do, but they are in some ways like the butterfly weed and things like that. Uh, they just are very prone to aphids and Um, There are lots of ways to control aphids. They're the most common insect pest out there, but they're also the easiest to kill. Uh, Ladybugs would take care of them. A little bit of safer soap would take care of them. A little bit of spinosad soap would take care of them. Many times just blasting them off with a hose is all you need to do. But they're one of those plants that uh, if you're growing daylilies, you're going to have aphids. It's not anything that you're failing to do. That particular plant is just really, really susceptible to aphids. And, uh, you know, they're not 
you, they're not life-threatening. They can distort the blooms a little bit, but uh, you're not a failure at a gardener if you, as a gardener if you have aphids on your daylilies because just about everybody does. Okay. Is it just as effective to use uh, Dawn and water at, or insecticidal soap? or Insecticidal soap is a... A specially prepared soaps, uh, you know, gosh, I'm trying to remember there. There's something or other salt of a long chain fatty acid by definition. Your insecticidal soaps are ones that are especially good at coating and smothering. They're much better than uh, your detergent type soaps are. You can start with Dawn if you have that. But uh, insecticidal soap's really cheap. It lasts forever on the shelf. So uh, pick up a little bottle of it next time you're around. It will work better than Dawn, but I'm not going to tell you that. You, you can give the Dawn a try until you have some insecticidal soap. Okay. Okay. Spider mites on my uh, Johnny Jump Ups. Is it because it's getting so hot? Yep, it's because it's getting so hot. Keep uh, Spray with liquid seaweed. Spray them, oh, every 10 days or so, two tablespoons per gallon of water, and uh, you will hold them back. We're supposed to cool down a bit this week. We're supposed to get out of the you know high 80s and low 90s. We're supposed to be back down in the 70s. So I'm going to try to coax a bunch more growth and flowers out of my Johnny Jump Ups, and uh, liquid seaweed is by far the best way to do it. You know how it makes the little seeds? Do you take those seeds and then throw them back in the pot? I let them just scatter them wherever they want to. They will not necessarily come back to being exactly true to what the parent was because, uh, gosh, there are just so many and they're so mixed up genetically. But you can save the seed and replant if you like or you know, they'll drop a lot of the seed just right back into the pot, and it'll be sprouting up um, at the end of the summer, early fall. Johnny Jump Ups are just an incredibly good plant in the garden, and there are so many pretty varieties out there. But uh, if you plant them from seed, you, you cannot count on them coming back as pretty as the parent plants were. Okay. Yeah, I've saved them before and then kind of thrown them around. So yeah. I was just wondering what you did. That's I just okay. let them. I let Mother Nature take care of them. I um, you know, the days just aren't long enough. I need, uh, I need 30 hour days if I'm going to begin to keep up with everything I've got to do. Okay. Okay. I've got, um, one more question about two different seedlings. Okay. Uh, I have an anacotta tree and then Japanese use. Uh-huh. Both of them have made little seedlings. Okay. I dug them up and I put them in little four inch pots and they seem to be doing fine. Mm-hmm. Is that realistic? That they're well, going to grow into a tree. And absolutely. All that? Well, anacacho is—they're not really trees. They make a, a nice shrub, and they grow very easily from seeds. And yes, I think they will do fine. Your Japanese yew, of course, is not the true northern yew—the poisonous plant that they use for making taxol and other things. Japanese yew is uh, Podocarpus. It is slow growing, but those purple seeds will certainly grow and uh they're going to be slow to do very much your anacacho is going to be up and in bloom before your uh japanese you gets to be 18 inches tall but uh you're you're a good gardener realistically you should do very well with both of them well i was going to give them to a friend mm-hmm. and uh when i dug up the seedling of the japanese you it it is a long tap root yeah 
Yep. Well, and, keep uh, them. You keep them and sure. take care of them for a month or six weeks before you give them away. Get them off oh, to yeah. a good start. And uh, but yeah. you or to whomever you give them should do very well with them. Okay. Well, yeah. That's. I was just curious because they hadn't drooped yet. <laughs> Curiosity is a good thing. Did y'all get a good rain this morning? Yes, and we're still getting little light sprinkles, which is better than nothing. Absolutely. Up the rain barrel. <laughs> well, you keep up the good work and call me whenever I can help. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, Cindy. Thank you. All right, let's see here. Looking at the time log, it looks like actually Brian is next, then it'll be Linda, and then it will be Lloyd and Nancy. So uh, let's say good morning to Brian. Hello, Bob. How are you? I'm good, sir. How about yourself? Doing well. And, you know, I'm really glad about the rain. However, you know, for three months it had rain, so we planned my big party for my granddaughter's birthday today. (laughs) Forty people coming. It's supposed to be outside. Well, I, if you're planning it mid to late afternoon, you're probably going to be just fine. So, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to turn out to be a pretty good day today. Okay. Three quick questions for you. Um, I've drug my feet, hadn't planted anything. This is going to be the first time I've ever planted a garden. I live in Vaughn Army. Mm -hmm. Uh, is it, is it too late? We like corn, tomato, bell pepper, melons, zucchini, squash, what can we plant still? You can plant all of those things still. I think you're, if anything, a little early on okra. I will tell you one thing about growing corn is it takes a lot of room for very little production. Um, you're going to get two ears max per you know corn plant. And uh, corn is just one of those things, if you have unlimited space, plant corn. If you're not fighting raccoons, which will come in and eat every ear of corn, given the opportunity, um, corn is just, uh, and, and sweet corn. I mean, you just can't beat it, but that, that is the one thing that a first time gardener in this, in the area that you grow a little bit of corn, you could grow a lot more cucumbers, beans, melons, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant. So think hard about that corn. If you do plant the corn, one secret to being successful with corn, you do not plant one long row of corn or you will get very little pollination. You get very poor ears. If you want a, if you want 20 feet of corn, you plant four or five foot rows side by side. Uh, you don't plant one 20 foot long row. That's different from anything else that you put in the garden. But uh, that that's you know uh, the corn's the only thing that's really going to be complex. Beyond that, um, you choose on beans. You choose between bush beans and pole beans. I think the bush beans are much more productive. Um, with peppers, you know, you can get from the hottest hot to sweet peppers, and um, <laughs> you're just sure you're in for a load of fun. But uh, uh, plant the things you like, and um, golly, if you have specific questions about specific plants, I'll I'll be happy to answer them. But no, you're just you're right on time. There's not much in my vegetable garden yet uh, for spring. I'm still have broccoli. I still have. Uh, Oh, chard, still have spinach, things like that from the fall. But um, there's not a lot of my garden. That's going to change this week. So, yeah, I think you're just right on time planting most of your summer plants. What would be the width between the corn rows? Um, I would tend to put two rows pretty close together, maybe 10 inches apart, and then I'd have about a two-foot gap so you can walk down between them and then another double okay. row. All righty, sounds good. Second question is, uh, I, bought, I bought this property a year and a half ago, and the previous lady had it for 20 
the, 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 I got two huge pomegranate bushes. Okay. I mean, they're probably 12 feet tall each. And for the last two years, they have, they have produced the uh, pomegranate, mm-hmm. but they will actually rot, rot on the vine and never turn red. They will drop on the ground. They will split while they're still on the vine, but they don't turn red and ripen. It probably was a water issue. We've had we've gone from a very dry summer to a very wet fall last year. Uh, I think if you start fertilizing, start giving them regular moisture, maybe go through and thin those uh, plants out a little bit. They're probably just massive bushes at this point. They and are. Uh, yeah, I would go through and I would thin out uh, where you've got fifteen shoots coming up. I'd cut it back to maybe ten or so. But uh, regular watering, meaning every 10 days or so through the summer months, you're going to get much better quality fruit this uh, late summer and fall. Okay, I'll do that then. All right, last question. Beautiful piece of property. Two and a half acres, trees everywhere, but there's 10 times the gnats. You can't walk through them. They're already coming out. You can't walk through my property without waving your hand in your face. Anything I could do about those things? Oh, man, there's so many different kinds of gnats that's uh a little hard to say most of them will disappear as we get into warmer weather um if you're having that outdoor party or something like that spray a little orange oil around spray a little cedar oil spray a little garlic uh that will be very repellent to the gnats uh uh, having kids over, you might even have some fun burning some citronella incense or something like that. But two hours before the party, uh, if it were me, I'd be, you know, mixing orange oil at the rate of about two, one to two teaspoons per gallon. Just go spray that whole area down. The whole place will smell citrusy and you should have no gnats or mosquitoes to deal with. Where do I get citrus oil at? Uh, orange oil, any good nursery. I mean, orange oil. Yeah, and any good Sorry. nursery or feed store or garden store should have it. Uh, Medina is the best brand out there. Uh, it has many other uses too. You can mix it with vinegar to make a weed killer. Uh, you can mix it with water to make one of the best cleaners you've ever used around the house. Those things you buy at the grocery store, they call them orange cleaner. They put about a drop of orange oil in whatever kind of cleaner they want to do. You can use nothing but orange oil and water and have one of the best cleaning products you've ever had. Huh. Okay. Well, all right then. Quick and easy. And I hope the party goes extremely well. Wish her a happy birthday for me. (laughs) Thank you. Have a good day. You too, Brian. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. uh, The next up is going to be Linda. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Bob. Love your show. You're a wealth of information. (laughs) I've made every mistake a person can make in the gardening world, so I'll just try to keep you from making the same ones. Well, that's what makes you so good. So anyway, here are some questions. Trees. We had some <clears throat> small cedars in the backyard, cleared them out. Good. Because, you know, we had terrible grass and, you know, the whole nine yards. What is, you know, talk about patience issue. Now what's the fastest <laughs> growing shade tree? Or what would be nice to fill in a couple of bare spots? We don't really want a whole lot of trees because we mm-hmm. do have a pool in the backyard. Okay. What so, what area are you in, Linda? Uh, we're in Timberwood Park. Okay. So you don't have a lot of soil, but you have some soil out there? Yeah, okay. yeah. The backyard has more than the front, but I, I think we probably need to bring in some soil, you know. To well, not, not necessarily, good. not necessarily. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, do you you have some trees on the property, so obviously there's enough soil for some things to grow. If you want yeah, an oak, cedar. if you want, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you got rid of them. Uh, if you yeah. want the best of the oak trees, 
Um, I would look at what they call Mexican live oak, also known as a Monterey oak or Mexican okay. white oak. goes by a lot of different names. Quercus polymorphus is its botanical name. But it is the fastest growing of the oaks uh, that don't get oak wilt. doesn't grow quite as fast as a red oak, but it grows much faster than our standard live oak. And uh, oak wilt is not an issue with it. So uh, that is one tree that I will recommend highly. If you're able to water and if you want the fastest growing tree out there that's still reasonably good quality, look at Mexican sycamore. It can be oh. 30 or 40 feet tall within five years. and wow. uh, But it, it will require some supplemental water. In nature, they tend to grow along creek beds, river beds, things like that. But uh, those are my most top two trees for fast growth. I would also consider cedar elm. Uh, is a relatively fast-growing, another native tree with virtually no problems. Okay. And then you've got a few and other oaks that are good, but maybe a little slower-growing, like bur oak and chinkapin oak and lacy's oak. Uh, those are all other possibilities. I've, I've seen the lacy oak. I'm particularly interested in that. It looks pretty, but I'm also concerned with I didn't want a whole bunch of, uh, I didn't want a dirty tree as far as the pool goes. No, all, you know? all, all trees are going to be dropping some things i'm not sure lacy's oak would be a good choice for you because on my ranch at least the lacy's oak do extremely well in areas where we have deep soil on some of my hillsides Uh but as you get further up the hill where you're into more shallow soil the lacy's oak are replaced by live oak and some other things so uh if you can find an area that has pretty deep soil consider lacy's oak otherwise uh stay with mexican live oak or burr oak or one of the other oaks now on that mexican uh sycamore is that going to need water like all the time or just getting it started it's going to need water all the time not often time. but we're talking uh right. if we get into drought giving it a good soaking uh, every mo- once a month or so Okay, and and any kind of fruit trees that might do okay? Well, you said you didn't want to have to do a lot of work. I know. Um, (laughs) Fig fig trees are very easily grown and very, very successful. Okay. Uh, You can grow peaches and plums, but they're going to be some work. I get your shade trees going first, and then we'll talk about uh, whether you want to spend the time to to, uh, try to grow some other fruit. Gotcha. Now, on the grass part, it's more weeds than grass. We have a little area of carpet grass, uh, but then there's a real thin, bladed, dark green grass that when you cut it, it turns into straw. It's just horrible. I don't even know what kind of grass that is. I don't care for it. But what would be the best way to try to convert all that to the carpet grass? And I've used the vinegar and orange oil for mm-hmm weeds but that's just spots well realize that that saint augustine grass which is what you're calling carpet grass uh is the most water demanding plant that will be in your landscape and i don't recommend large expanses of grass because we just don't have you know enough water to maintain them and so um saint augustine grass on the other hand in limited quantities it is the strongest grass out there it will choke out every other grass in the world just with the water and fertilizer it also has the longest green season it also will not have chiggers in it uh it's about the softest grass to walk around barefoot on but um i I love saint augustine i just don't want to see it in great big quantities but uh the places where you want to plant it just plant it water it fertilizer it and it'll choke out your other weedy grasses well what do we do if we want a green yard move 
Southern California or maybe Brownsville. It's uh, yeah. okay. there. There are native grasses. Um, there are a lot of native grasses. There's the native grass blend called Habiturf, but it, green grass in summertime in Texas is just not real realistic. A lot of years, okay. and uh, seriously, it's uh, we we're, we're not South Florida. We're not East Tennessee, where yeah. I spent my high school years, where they have pretty much unlimited water, but. Um, uh, you can have a very green yard, but you can't have an acre of very green yard if you live in the hill country. Right, right. I agree. And I, I was tending towards zero scaping, but my husband, he wants you know, a green yard. And <laughs> find, like, a okay. happy, find a happy medium if he's the right. guy that's going to have to do the mowing and everything else he on does. it. yeah. Yeah, then, <laughs> yeah. then it won't yeah. take long uh, in July before he wishes the yard was a little bit smaller, but... Uh, mm-hmm. um, there, there are nice grasses uh, and and things that are very good grasses. I have a turf and some things like that, but it's not going to look like a Kentucky bluegrass lawn because you're not in Kentucky yeah. anymore. That's right. That's right. I agree. Okay. And just a couple more quick things. I know you got other callers. I have a banana tree. Uh, I bought a, a regular one and a, a dwarf one. I'm just mm-hmm. playing around with trying to add something interest to the backyard. Sure. So... Any special, uh, you know, thoughts on a lot of water again, I was right? going to say, it's funny that we're talking uh, about water because I don't know of any <laughs> plant, really, that takes more water than a more banana water. tree. Uh, they'll be prettiest if you can protect them from wind because the wind does tend to shred the leaves on banana trees. And in Timberwood Park, you've got quite a lot of oh, wind God. out there. But yeah, uh, plant them where they get good sun, uh, mulch them well, water them frequently, and... Uh, and they'll be a pretty addition, but, you know, like everything else, all things in moderation. Don't cover the yard up with them. Can, are, can you use, like, a water bag around them or something? Would that help? Or, or you know, how they do it, some landscaping? It, yeah, it's, uh, that's a great way to get plants started, but it doesn't. Right. It just waters the root system right at the base of the plant, and a really healthy, well-established plant of any sort is going to spread their roots much wider than that gator bag yeah. is going to water. So I'd rather that's see good. you put some, uh, you know, uh, drip hose, what they call uh, – uh, pressure compensated drip hose around if you want to make it a little bit easier and then put a couple of inches of mulch on top of it you can grow beautiful bananas but you're going to be watering weekly yeah well i might double think that then and then the amaryllis bulb i have bought a beautiful you know a beautiful amaryllis plant in heb some time ago mm-hmm. had a couple of beautiful flowers now if there's nothing what do i do with it i i'm so confused about amaryllis because it, i'm not familiar with the bulb plants Well, amaryllis is a tropical bulb that you probably will want to keep in a pot. Go ahead and put it in about an 8-inch clay pot, and um, you want to water it, fertilize it. You want it to be a beautiful green plant all spring, all summer, and into the fall. Mid-fall, you totally stop watering it. You you starve it for water. You let it lose its leaves due to thirst, so to speak, because that's what initiates the flower buds. They come from a part of the world that has a distinct wet season and dry season. And for the next eight months, you're going to think of it as the wet season, and you're going to fertilize water, try to make it the prettiest green plant in the world. Then you withhold the water. You force it into dormancy. Uh, Mid-November or so or early November, you start watering again, and it comes up in blooms, and the whole cycle starts over again. And every year it gets bigger, makes additional little bulbs, and has more flowers. 
that's awesome. And it stays inside. It's inside. Uh, only in weather that's going to be below 28 degrees or so. Otherwise, it's going to be much happy on your porch where it gets at least half a day of sun. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Good Lots qu- of questions. Good questions, <laughs> Linda. So. Okay. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Oh, what a nice Sunday morning out there. Nice and moist. Uh, Most of us have gotten a good rain. Looks like the rain may continue for another hour or two, but then it's going to turn off and be a beautiful afternoon. Sort of a perfect day in South Texas. Uh, We're going to talk to uh, Thomas and Lloyd and Nancy. Let me tell you one thing. First of all, next week, our uh, free seminar we do over Shades of Green is going to be all about pollinators. All those things that um, if you're really conscious uh, environmentally concerned gardener you'd love to have a garden that's uh, full of things that the bees love the hummingbirds love anyway that's what next saturday seminar is all about and big thanks to everybody that came out for house plants we had a real good seminar yesterday and thoroughly enjoyed it okay well let's get back to these uh these lines it's going to be lloyd nancy and thomas in that order lloyd's up first good morning lloyd good morning bob good morning sir uh, about a year ago i was given a uh, blackberry plant and okay I put it in the ground and i forgot about it and the other day i was looking at it and it's got canes about probably eight feet long okay that are coming out of it uh-huh and and the canes have new growth and looks like little blooms mm-hmm. on the canes uh but i understand i'm supposed to cut those back to no about three or four no 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 do not cut your blackberries back um the only place you're going to get fruit are the canes that grew last year uh so those ones that are coming out they probably are going to make white flowers which will be followed by delicious blackberries you're also going to have some new canes come up uh probably kind of at the base of the plant some of them may actually come up a foot or two or three feet away from the mother plant but uh, we don't do any pruning at all on blackberries at this time of year now Two or three months from now, when you are through harvesting the berries that are going to form on last year's canes, at that point, you take those canes only and prune them back. Because once they have produced fruit for a season, they're pretty much over and done with. And uh, so you want to get rid of those canes without touching the new canes that have grown up this spring because the ones that are growing up now the new canes are the ones that are going to make your berries next year so um we prune we prune to completely take out the old wood but not until it's finished producing and then we water we fertilize we try to get the canes to grow where we want them to grow uh and then the same thing starts over the canes that are growing now are the ones that are just coming out now those are the ones that are going to make next year's berries and as they make next year's berries you'll have this cane starting to come out for the following year does that make sense yeah yeah, uh, yeah it does uh, okay so water and fertilize water and fertilize and get ready for some good berries um uh, the white, there'll be, you know, pure white flowers. You should have just an abundance of flowers. Uh, um, I'm a little surprised because, in general, we try to keep our blackberries watered through the winter months, and that gives us real good growth. And if yours have been kind of <laughs> neglected, like mine have, uh, then you're lucky that they're starting to put on good growth and look like they're going to have plenty of flowers. But but no pruning for, you know, at least another 8 to 10 weeks. Uh, of course, that'll be after you finish harvesting all of this year's fruit. 
Okay. And uh, one of the canes uh, uh, got down on the ground, and would uh, would it be possible to layer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can layer them if you like. But I think you're going to find you're going to have quite a number of little plants um, come up on their own. But in this case, we'd not be doing an air layering. We'd simply be putting a shovel full of dirt over that cane. Uh, it will almost certainly root, and uh, later in the season, you can dig it and plant it elsewhere. Okay. Cut. Yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate your information. Well, it's always a pleasure. Do you happen to know what variety of blackberry you were given? No, I don't. It uh, it came from a church garden. It's a thorn blackberry, but I, I do not know what variety it Does is. Does it have a few thorns, or is it like a thorny thicket? A thorny thicket. It's probably going to be a variety called Brazos. It's a very good berry. It's a very sweet berry. Um, small to medium sized, uh, you have to pick carefully. If you decide you really like growing blackberries, uh, try a variety called Roseboro, R-O-S-E-B-O-R-O-U-G-H. Uh, it is also a thorny berry, but it is a bigger, sweeter berry. It happens to be my favorite, even though it can be a little tough to find sometimes. I have yet to find a thornless blackberry that does well in this area. Everybody's always talking about wanting to grow thornless blackberries. If you find one that does well consistently, let me know, but I don't think it's out there. So you enjoy your brassus berry and uh, have some good cobbler and good fresh eating. Okay, that brings up another question. I do have a, a roseboro in a pot, I uh -huh. bought, and I haven't planted it yet. How far should I, you think I should go from the existing blackberry plant to put my roseboro in the about, ground? About five feet. About five feet? Yes, okay. sir. All right. Appreciate it. Have a great day. I appreciate the call. Uh, let's see. Next up is Nancy. Good morning, Nancy. Hi. Um, I get uh, Howard Garrett's newsletter. Uh -huh. And in the newsletter, he mentioned 10% vinegar. And it's a good substitute for the 20% because it's a lot less expensive. <laughs> I've been looking all over for it, but I can't find it anywhere. And this morning, I called his radio show, and he said, well, uh, shades of green and i called down there last week and they didn't know anything about it no, we, can i order it no we we get the 20 percent vinegar is what we sell and and 20 percent is more effective than the lower one but uh what you're going to have to settle for is nine percent i don't think anyone makes a 10 percent vinegar but if you go to the grocery store and you ask for pickling vinegar that's going to be yeah, your I, nine. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. That's that's so what think, that's what he's talking about. So you think that mixed with uh, orange oil is going to help kill the weeds, or it won't be very good to do it? Well, any you know, do you want a kind of strong weed killer? Do you want a really strong weed killer? Do you want a super strong weed killer? Uh, your regular vinegar is good at killing weeds, five percent. Your nine percent is better. And if you've got really tough weeds, your 20% is even better than that. It's just kind of, uh, you know, how, how how sweet do you like your coffee? One teaspoon, two teaspoons, or three teaspoons full of sugar. They're all good. It just uh, it kind of depends on what you need. And if you've got really tough weeds, if you've got, oh, things like Johnson grass, Bermuda grass, 20% uh, vinegar is going to do a better job. If you're fighting dandelions, uh, henbit, clover, oxalis, things like that, your 9% vinegar is probably going to be plenty strong. 
Okay. Okay. I just thought maybe I could find something that's less expensive than that 20%. Well, the 9% vinegar certainly is less expensive. It would be a good place to start, and it will do a good job against most weeds. But, uh, you know, Texas stuff can get pretty tough, and sometimes the 9% just isn't strong enough. But uh, start out with the pickling vinegar and see how you do with it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your help. I enjoy your show. Well, good questions, and thanks for listening to Howard. He's a good guy. Appreciate it. Bye. Uh Bye. All right. Just had a... Had a text from my business partner up in the hill country and uh, up in that area they've gotten between yesterday afternoon and today over an inch now i mean what just a wonderful day this is we've been waiting we've been waiting about three months for uh, it's been about that long since our last good so i hope you are fortunate enough to have gotten good moisture this morning and i hope you're fortunate enough to have avoided the hail that came down in uh, san marcus and a few other areas but anyway let's get back and finish up gardening calls right now with thomas good Good morning, Thomas. Hello, Bob. How are you, sir? Got two things I want to ask you about uh, real quick. I know we're running low on time. Oh, we've got uh, we've got about six minutes. We've got plenty of time. Well, uh, the Fox Farm. I went over to uh, this large nursery. They usually have a lot of the ladybugs, but mm-hmm. they didn't have one bag of nothing. That was all gone. So oh, yeah. I got a, a bag of this Fox Farm, and I come home and I read on there, and it's got. Uh, sagnum peat moss in it right which one doesn't have any of that in there well pick the wrong one there are a number of fox farm products that don't have the peat moss where they have substituted the core and those are the fox farm products that i really like i know they make one called coco loco but you uh-huh. just you just have to read the bags before you leave with them. Chances are, if you have them opened, you could you trade that back in. But Fox Farms has quite a number of products where they've just used the uh, the core instead of the uh, sphagnum peat moss, and, and those are the ones that I like. Now, using peat moss in the end of the world, but it certainly is not as good a product as the core is. But uh, um, uh, they're they're happy frog. Fro- well, I guess happy frogs the same. That's another of their product lines. But uh, again, just just check the bag because some of them do, some of them don't. Right. Okay. Another thing, I, I saw a program the other day about these people in uh, Honduras at uh, coffee growers, and they're getting devastated with this mold down there. I mean, it's wiping them out. I just wonder if the if the corn water tea would help them out down there. Oh, I bet it would. Um, these people are really suffering. I mean, they're just, uh, you know, that's one reason the guy said they come, they want to come over here because they just, they just, you know, that mold is wiping their whole plantation out. Well, and so often, um, what they've done, they've used the, you know, high nitrate synthetic fertilizers and things like that, which just makes a breeding ground for many of the different fungal diseases. I have, and and I would think that probably the corn, corn water tea would help them out because, uh, uh, and as you well know, it's not the, not the corn that's the magic, but it's this uh, beneficial fungus, uh, the trichoderma that grows on the corn. And I, I mean, it takes care of toenail fungus. It will take care of athlete's foot. It will take care of ringworm. It'll take care of brown patch in the grass. It works, uh, uh, to control oak wilt, it controls some other what we call vascular diseases of trees that people used to think were just totally uncontrollable. I just have not seen 
a damaging fungus that the trichoderma would not work against. So I would, you know, I'd I'd sure be trying it uh, if you have contacts down there or know somebody doing missionary work in that area or whatever. Um, I would sure encourage them and, you know, be sure that you're starting with a good uh, whole ground corn product and it's not a new thing i uh my niece is a uh a doctor down in mexico rita is just an incredibly sharp young lady in fact she not only made the highest grades in medical school in her class and made the highest grades that had ever been made in that medical school down there and she tells me that generations of uh, people down there have been using cornmeal for controlling toenail fungus and ringworm and other problems, uh, especially in the colonias and places where they don't have access to pharmaceutical medications. So I don't know a lot about the mold that is uh, that is causing the problems uh, on the coffee plantations, but I'm with you. I I can't think of any better thing to look for uh, than the cornmeal. I suspect that another option that they could try either separately or in conjunction with the cornmeal would be hydrogen peroxide because we're finding that uh and hydrogen peroxide is inexpensive widely available and it controls a lot of different fungal problems and even some viral problems right well i I don't know how to get the word down now you know but that's uh you know, it's, it'd be worth uh, worth the effort. I mean, it's, you know, corn's cheap, so... Oh, yeah, and if you know anybody, and um, I'm not sure what your profession is or was, but we have a lot of good organizations around San Antonio, like Doctors Without Borders and some of the... Wow. Uh, some uh, a couple of dental groups that go down through Central and South America taking, you know, helping folks uh, with some of their issues down there but if you know anybody that does any of that sort of thing you might give them a little bit more information let them pass it along and uh you know let their friends and neighbors try it down there i'd love to hear how it works but i i'm like you i have every confidence it would probably do a good job for them well just a thought you know and, uh, okay Okay, Bob. Well, thanks for thanks for being there. Well, it's always a pleasure, Thomas, and always good to talk to you. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and open the phones for Dr. Kirby's show. We're less than a minute away from news, so don't really have time for another gardening call. But uh, if you want to get on early on your pet's health with Dr. Dan Kirby, you can dial those numbers now, 210-599-5555. And, uh, oh, gosh, looking forward to doing that show with Dan, as always. I just learned so much, and it's such a pleasure uh, talking to somebody who loves animals the way we do and uh, just so knowledgeable. Again, thanks so much to everybody who came out to uh, our seminar on houseplants yesterday. Pollinators next week. There are also some fun things going on. The uh, uh, South Texas Garden Volunteers uh, doing good things and uh, Water Saver Landscape School. I believe that's coming up next weekend. You can go to v- gvst.org to check that out. Uh, going to have the rose show coming up in two weeks down at the garden center, followed by the cactus show a week after that. It's time for gardening. And thanks for joining us here on KTSA San Antonio, Texas.